Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Uh, today, it's a special interview with Dan Hannum. Uh, Dan is a good friend of mine, and we've been doing a lot of breath work together. And if you want to do breath work with us, uh, just send me a message on Twitter, and I'll add you to the list. My DMs are open. Um, and uh, so this is a special episode. Uh, you're probably not going to enjoy it very much if you don't really know that much about crypto. Um, we're, uh, it's not that we're getting, I mean, we went a little bit of technical, but we're really going after the foundations, the fundamentals of what uh, crypto is about and particularly Bitcoin uh, and particularly how people are building software on Bitcoin. So if that doesn't interest you, probably, you probably don't want to listen to this episode, but if you do have a knowledge of Bitcoin if, or if you are curious about Bitcoin, this is probably a great episode for you to listen to. Uh, so hope you enjoy it. If you do, please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other major podcasting platforms and go ahead and give us a review and subscribe. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I. That's S-T-E-W-A-R-T-A-L-S-O-P-I-I-I at uh, Twitter, on Twitter. Uh, my DMs are open. Would love to hear from you. Oh. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Uh, we are doing a special State of Crypto interview because I'm really curious about what's going on. I haven't been paying attention too much to build the last seven, eight months. And I've got Dan Hannum here who uh, knows a lot about it and I've interviewed him before and really excited to kind of see what he knows about what's going on right now. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Excited to, to talk some crypto. Yeah. So the biggest thing in my mind is, I, I, is the Tezos versus Ethereum. And last time we talked about this, we didn't record. You were talking about Ethereum uh, just having way more mindshare for devs, uh, way more GitHub commits, way more everything than probably all the bigger ones. And you, that's the, in your mind, that's the <clears throat> factor in terms of what's going on for the adoption in, at least in terms of developers. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like a few kind of macro themes all rolled into one. Um, Ethereum version two um, is, is actually supposed to be launching in 2020. Um, so there, there's kind of like a few different aspects of Ethereum having some scalability issues. Um, and then also some of these other competitors, there's some that have uh, raised fundraising back in 2017 that are now launching like two and a half, three years later. There's some that launched in, in 2018, 2019, such as Tezos. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's really the way I look at kind of like scaling some of those, um, some of those protocols um, is really like mindshare dev ability and then price. And I think they're kind of like reflexive in the sense that I think the, uh, the blockchain that has the highest token value typically is, is able to support uh, a larger developer network uh, to be able to pay out um, and just to have more of that creative mindshare. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you want to work on some of that other smart people are working on. Um, and I think those, that's kind of where we stand right now. There's a lot of, a lot of kind of quote unquote Ethereum killers that um, are, are launching or about to be launched that um, either have higher throughput or higher scalability or some sort of trade-off that they believe was a better trade-off than what Ethereum currently offers. And um, so yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of really interesting things in like the Ethereum ecosystem. And then obviously you have DeFi that's kind of branching out of Ethereum that is spreading across um, a couple other channels as well. So th there's a lot of really cool stuff happening in, in Ethereum. What is a token network exactly? In, in like what sense? You mentioned the word token network, and I just I don't and I don't have a visualization of that of that of what it is exactly. Um, it, uh, 
they're like so i can imagine that they're okay so oh, ethereum is a token network because it runs off of a token that'll that the is basically the the value that can be transferred over the system given weights to various things that people want to program what what about that i just said was inaccurate or is that accurate yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely somewhat accurate. I mean, I think that the challenging part is that some of these projects don't have a supply cap. So when you kind of look at like some of those more uh, more granular, like kind of like details, like when you look at um, when you look at kind of like market cap of of uh, said token, um, obviously you'll have like available supply times price. But there's, I think that's kind of the interesting part of some of these dynamics is there's. Um, some have better governance, some have more scheduled supply, uh, either fluctuations, um, and then some don't. So, but I think at the, at the end of the day, really kind of the, the price and mind share is kind of what I think Ethereum has pushed ahead on. Um, and now I think you're starting to see even Bitcoin is starting to kind of adapt a little bit. Um, uh, especially on like the smart contract side. Um, so I think that's a, a, a fascinating piece, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, th I think a lot of these ICO projects and a lot of these tokens in a sense came out to solve a problem. Some of them solve problems that didn't need to be solved. Hmm. Um, and then I think some of them solve problems that necessarily didn't exist. Um, and then I think some solve problems more on like the marketing side. Um, cause I think, I think there's always, when you're not in the weeds, you don't understand the trade-offs that Bitcoin has made to stay the way it is. So when you're when someone says, "Oh, I have X Y Z chain that has 1,500, 2,000 transactions per second," then you have to look at like the trade-offs. Um, you have to look at why, if if you have a higher throughput and higher transaction per second, typically security model is a little bit less. Or there's really always trade-offs in, in any decision, and I think that's mm. unfortunately something that a lot of quote unquote like investors that maybe more retail aren't necessarily too familiar with interesting so there's smart contracts and there's the security model which is really interesting uh two different things that i'm that i'm curious about there's the smart contracts have you seen any smart contracts that have been interesting to you as a consumer or have you seen other people find interest as consumers towards various smart contracts yeah i mean i think there's a lot of really cool things kind of being built around that topic i think one of the challenging aspects is to not put the cart before uh i don't know the, the, of course, yeah. i forgot that the right analogy there but yeah. i think that's something that we're, we're looking at now where you're seeing smart contracts that are supposed to be used on like real assets um, when I think really smart contracts are more geared towards um, towards more digital assets. Um, so when you have a smart contract in play that relies on real world data, you need an Oracle to provide that information. And currently there's not, I mean, Chainlink, there, there's a few platforms that provide Oracle services that are pretty solid. Um, but then you get to the aspect of really what are you benefiting from on this model versus what the existing model is. Um, but I think when you get more in like the digital asset realm, the, the ability to have um, some of those contracts have payouts or, or things like that is a little bit easier. Um, there's actually an article that I retweeted probably a day or two ago from a really smart guy named Connor Brown um, who went through how Bitcoin is, is looking at smart contracts. Um, and it's, it's pretty fascinating, but I think I'm a big fan of smart contracts in general. I think the more we can cut out the middleman and cut out layers, um, you provide more efficiency. But I think that's 
one of the aspects that we're that we're seeing kind of as a trend in crypto as well is the quote unquote cut out middleman but replace them. Um, so we're not a lot of some mm. of these projects aren't actually cutting out the middleman; they're just becoming the middleman. <laughs> um, so that's kind of like the the challenge there. Where whereas with Bitcoin and Lightning Network, you can have the ability to have smart contracts processed through Lightning and then um, and actually confirmed on on the uh, layer one chain as well. So there's a lot of really cool stuff on, on the smart contract space um, that I'm excited to continue to watch. So the lightning network thing, that's very interesting and I don't quite understand it. So what at like a high level, if you can, what is the level, what is the lightning network? Yeah. So with, with Bitcoin, you have layer one, which is kind of like the core protocol and the core blockchain. And that's really where most of these quote unquote ICO projects or all coins come from. Cause they look at like the, the layer one blockchain of Bitcoin and say um, like, throughput smaller transaction amounts like this or transaction fees are too high or um or asics are going to come over and dominate them. like there's always these things that that people look at that i don't think are fully researched um sorry what, what was the exact uh, question it's a layer two lightning network oh network. gotcha, gotcha. What is it? yeah um so really one of like the the really amazing ideas probably two maybe two yeah probably two two and a half years ago was kind of like lightning network and and layer two technology so how do we provide a platform that sits on top of the base layer that we can transact through um, and two of like the biggest projects in the space are lightning labs um, which is actually developing the lightning network and then uh, liquid which is developed by blockstream um, so having side channels or having layer two technologies allows you to have transactions that occur on that second layer and then pretty much in like a, I'm trying to think of like a simple and like a simple way after kind of those transactions occur, then like the final transaction will occur on the, the layer one blockchain. So it, it allows more of that throughput to be mm, uh, to a separate chain. It allows better transactions, lower fees. Um, it's, it's really easy to open up a lightning channel. Um, something that's been going around the last two weeks is a lightning torch where, where you're seeing uh, participants in the ecosystem that are sending an invoice on lightning for x amount of satoshis oh, and then adding additional satoshi and sending that around and i think when i looked at it last night it's been almost all the way around the world in in like 30 or 40 different countries um so it's, it, it's just a really cool technology to be able to have more of those micro payment uh, abilities and i think that's always one of like the ongoing issues in our space is a sense of um when satoshi was talking about cash what does that mean? Um, and uh, you have kind of that Bcash crowd that's like, it's supposed to be um, like a, a, a network for small payments. It's supposed to be like that. And then you have kind of more of the digital gold crowd that thinks that like layer one should be focused on what its, its core tenants are and then have layer two technology handle some of those. So hopefully that gives like a, a little bit of a background around it. Yeah, no, and that, I get it now. And that's really interesting about invoicing and all this other stuff. So essentially, Bitcoin is the way it was. There were certain things that Satoshi didn't understand about the future that he didn't build into the thing, uh, build into the, the protocol. And then essentially this thing has evolved called Lightning Network, which now allows people to do a lot of the faster stuff on this Lightning Network. And then, uh, but still have that solid, it's almost like the hardware of financial money as, as Bitcoin um, uh, in this kind of slower, more secure thing. Is that accurate? Somewhat. The only thing that I would change is, is, in my opinion, I think Satoshi was smart and thought ahead. So I think, like, that's why I think some of these altcoins don't like get more hype than they deserve because most people don't kind of look through and understand the trade-offs and the amount of research and 
um, and awareness that Satoshi had when he made um, when he made Bitcoin. So I think the the reasons why the base layer has stayed the way it is is to keep that network secure. Um, and now you have people that are 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 looking at other uh, um, uh, other aspects. So that that'd be the only thing I change is I think Satoshi made um, very rational trade offs uh, as to why the security model and um, and the overall proof of work model makes sense for the base layer. And then now you have people that are realizing that you can build layer two, layer three technology on top. Um, so it's a really interesting, interesting piece, but that'd be the only thing that has changed. Yeah. I mean, obviously we're 10, 11 years later. So uh, who knows if he, she, they, it could foresee what's going on. Um, so I'm sure there's other developments that have probably changed. Um, but yeah, that's probably the only thing I, I would yeah. kind of tweak about that statement. And then, so the digital assets, people are buying and selling digital assets in a way. So it's instead of me going through Amazon, I just work a deal directly with the purchaser. How well, you can you yeah. can do that on 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 the on layer one right now as well. Like you don't have to use Lightning Work Network to to send a payment or receive a payment. If if you're a merchant, you can use BTC Pay Server to open to actually accept Bitcoin as payments and stuff like that. So you can still do the the same thing um, on on layer one. It's just like it's really kind of built around the 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 whole concept of like if you want to go buy your coffee, no one's going to use Bitcoin. And it's like one typically most people don't use Bitcoin as it continues to rise to the store of value only till we get to the point where that the actual dollar plateaus and we get to a stable store of value, then it becomes the media of exchange. So I think that is another aspect where people are like, well, no one's using it for payments. It's like, why would you use it for payments when you know it's going to appreciate in value? Um, and with this supply schedule, you can re reflexively look in the future and see kind of what the price may look like at the time. Um, but yeah, the, I guess my point is like a lot of those things where you're accepting payments, sending payments can happen on, um, on, on the base layer. It's just like if you have, if you're a Starbucks per se, and you have tens of thousands of oh, microtransactions right. coming in per day, yeah. you don't want to use the, the base layer, pay those fees, wait for those confirmation times. If someone's sitting there on, in, in front of you on the checkout line, you don't want to wait the 10 minutes for the block to confirm that the payment went through. Um, so there's a lot of really cool things that are happening on layer two and layer three that allows for more of those payments. What's layer three? Layer three is right above layer two. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, I don't know who comes up with uh with like the 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 number system or or, or how they're layer three is really more of like a, a thought at this point. Um, uh, okay. Layer two is kind of what's currently being built on. Um, and then I'm sure there'll be a layer four in in two years. Who knows? Is there so f from the picture that I, I just got from you is that. Bitcoin is going to become a, a currency as, as soon as the uh, schedule kind of, uh, but I mean, that's going to be a while though, right? Yeah. I, I mean, when you, when you kind of look at, and, and, and once the, this is another thing that I actually just retweeted over the weekend, it is uh, VJ's um, amazing four piece uh, bullish case for Bitcoin. Um, and he kind of goes through using like Nick Zabo's uh, writings and some other really smart people's writings and goes through kind of how like a, a monetary asset achieves different aspects of, um, of what uh, like steps, if that makes sense. So typically it's more of like a collectible. So you see that with like sh uh, seashells and rocks and that type of stuff. And then it goes from like collectible um, to more of like a beginning to like a store of value. Um, and when it's in the store of value mode, you're still uh, achieving that store of value. 
And it only really gets to the point when it stops being a store of, or not stops being a store of value, but starts being a medium of exchange when the store of value becomes more settled. So kind of going back to that conversation before, it's like, let's say I'm going to buy my $10 overpriced cup of Starbucks and I want to use Bitcoin now. I wouldn't use Bitcoin now because I believe personally um, and professionally that Bitcoin will continue to appreciate in value. So that's kind of like the, the way back story of like the guy that spent 10,000 Bitcoin, which is like 150 million on two pizzas. It's yeah. like, that's kind of like that, that theory in the sense of, um, uh, of when the price appreciates. But uh, I guess my point with that is you need to have the store of value before you have the medium of exchange. No one's going to want to accept or, um, or use your currency if it's, if it doesn't have value. So you can't really go to medium exchange before you have store of value. And that's, and that's, that's been with every currency, every currency needed to establish itself. And then it won over the previous currency essentially. Pretty much. And that, and that goes back for forever when people are using stones and rocks and sticks and um, seashells and, and different collectibles. Um, and I think that's kind of like the interesting part is now you're seeing that kind of happen in some of these fiat currencies um, where, where due to government inefficiencies and, and in some cases just outright fraud, in, in my opinion, um, th- there's been some aspects where your current money supply is, is in, insanely inflated. Um, and for, for people looking for a good store of value, you kind of look at some of these alternative assets. And, and really, when you compare gold um, to Bitcoin, Bitcoin pretty much wins out on probably 10, eight out of the 10 features. Um, when you kind of look at like what a store of value is. Um, and really, some of those like features are like, is it durable? Um, is it portable? Is it fungible? Is it verifiable? Is it divisible? Is it scarce? Does it have an established history? Is it censorship resistant? Um, so kind of all of those factors go into play into what a store of value is. So there's still aspects where gold may win out at the current moment, but especially on like established history. When you look at Bitcoin, you have 10, 11 years. When you look at gold, you have thousands. So uh, it's kind of, there, there's a lot of factors at play. And then kind of like the, the, the Lindy effect in the sense of uh, the, the more that Bitcoin stays around and doesn't die, the more people believe that it won't die, the more people kind of pile in. So there's a lot of really interesting parts that go into the price premium and the monetary premium that's associated with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And there was something you said, but now I'm losing it because the, the so it's going to essentially become a monetary exchange but it already is in some ways because, you know, Starbucks is Starbucks actually um, accepting that much in Bitcoin that they need to use layer two or is any other large corporation that's accepting Bitcoin needing to use this? Somewhat the, the adoption on like the retail side is still a little bit slow. I mean, there's a lot of places where you can use Bitcoin. Um, I want to say there's probably a couple thousand different retail shops. Like, for example, you can go to Subway and pay in Litecoin or pay in Bitcoin or pay in, uh, I don't know, I think they accept three, uh, three cryptocurrencies at the moment, but th- there are places. Uh, I mean, there's transactions that have happened in America where people actually purchase homes using Bitcoin. Um, so at the, at, the, at the end of the day, it's, can you find a buyer that, that accepts this? And one of the biggest ones on the retail side is Overstock. They, they've been accepting Bitcoin for four or five years. Um, I know the CEO has had a little little trouble uh i think personally in the last like year and a half or so but um but yeah they, they've been one of like the, the biggest uh acceptors of, of crypto for what everything they sell couches and furniture and lamps and whatnot so i, I think the adoption is there but i think that's that's that kind of goes about about it needs to become a stable store of value before it becomes more of a currency yep yeah and and uh, oh, that's the question yeah 
Um, so because so we've got this time frame that we have to wait until it's going to become a store of value, uh, and then uh, there are a lot of other crypto projects in the in the meantime. But with a lot of this stuff, we don't really know when it's going to come to fruition. It does seem like Bitcoin is going to be the you know long term kind of thing that happens. But then and then that brings in Ethereum. Is Ethereum still solving a problem that Bitcoin can't solve? At the moment, yes. Um, but I think that there is work being done to Bitcoin to actually be able to somewhat tackle some of those things. So it gets a little bit more technical kind of from here, but there's Snore, there's Taproot, there's TapScript. There's a lot of BIP, which is a Bitcoin improvement uh, proposal um, that goes into actually being able to change the, the Bitcoin protocol. Um, so, so there's a lot of things that are going on with privacy, with smart contracts, with general scalability. Um, so I think the, the the cool part for me, obviously, uh, I'm I'm a big believer in Bitcoin, but I think the the amazing thing is, is it's really a little bit slower to adopt. It, it's really like let's allow these other platforms to go out and do whatever they want to go try to achieve, and if it's feasible and reasonable, we can implement it in. So I think that's the the amazing thing about the consensus model for Bitcoin is if there is a, a proposal that allows uh, allows for any increase or any upgrade, um, then it kind of goes through through a process, uh, which is like the Bitcoin uh, uh, proposal process. So you'll, you'll have votes, you'll have uh, miners that are able to um, to participate in that. So the governance model for Bitcoin is pretty interesting. Um, but as far to answer the question, as far as are there are things that Bitcoin or other projects do that Bitcoin can't do at the moment? Yes, um, and at the, and I think there are, there will always be because I think that goes back to the trade off platform. There's yeah. always going to be someone that sacrifices security for transaction output. And that's kind of what like uh, Bitcoin SV is. It's kind of, that's like, um, what's his name? Calvin Air and uh, what's the other guy? CSW's uh, uh, platform that's like, I think has like 10,000 transactions per second, but it's like, no one's using it. Um, so I guess my the summary of that is uh, Bitcoin is kind of like a very intelligent sponge that allows other people to go chase down items. And, and if they're worthy, um, then they they can be added in. Oh, interesting. So infrastructure, you invest in infrastructure and what what does that mean exactly? What What types of infrastructure are the most important when it comes to crypto? Yeah, well, um, I think th there's going to be multiple answers to that because I think it depends on, on, on what you look at. Um, I, I know I have friends in the industry that, that run liquid uh, portfolios where they're investing in, in altcoins day in and day out and, and do very well for themselves. I, I know people that specialize just in um, protocol level investment. Um, for us, we, we believe that the value add um, um, is really going to apply more on the equity side. Um, so what we look at it is really like an actual investable business. Um, and, and how do we provide those businesses? So one that I think we've talked about before is Zenlender. So kind of perfect example of, of a business that's not a protocol. It's, it's a very solid business, has a very clear acquisition path, has amazing founders and leaders, has an amazing team, um, has amazing users. Um, so it's kind of that example. And I think more people that come from traditional finance or traditional investment kind of see the similarities between traditional VC and crypto VC. Um, and I think that's really where the value will continue to accrue is really in these projects that have real world users that have people paying for their product or service that have team members that are actually on the team um, and stuff like that. So um, 
I guess at the end of the day, there's always different ways to invest, but we believe that um, that going the equity route is kind of the the way to go. Um, and then on the the infrastructure side, it's what do we what do we invest in, and what does the market need to bring on additional users once they're in the ecosystem? Where can we provide different aspects for for them to use? So we have projects where you can earn or investments where in companies where you can earn crypto, where you can lend crypto, you can stake crypto. Um, Zen Ledger obviously is one where if you have lending, earning, staking, pretty much anything you need to pay taxes on. So it's like allow you to go build your portfolio, but make sure you can comply. So it's like some of those aspects of, of how do we get people in once they're in, how do we get them um, using products, using services, and then how do we make sure on the back end that they're compliant, that they're following uh, legislation, that they're following tax items and things like that. Um, I guess that's kind of like the way we look at it is the, 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 the kind of like uh, analogy back to the gold days of, of you buy the picks and the shovels, not the, not, not, not the gold mine. So the, the more that we can uh, uh, invest in the companies that are providing the picks and the shovels, not only to hopefully does our returns go up, but the ecosystem at large continues to adapt and grow. That, and that's really interesting. That gets to a question I forgot earlier, which is about um, you worked in finance and now you've moved over to crypto. I mean, the same thing, but what are the things that traditional finance technology uh, isn't doing well enough that crypto can do better? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a long list on that end. Um, <laughs> I think for me personally, what I wanted to do was chase my passion. Um, and, and luckily I was, I was in a place where I, I was, um, pretty high up in my organization. I, I had the ability and the autonomy to make decisions. I was managing uh, a pretty large amount of, of wealth for some really wealthy investors. And it just got to the point where I was spending my nights and my weekends and my mornings working and learning and investing in crypto. Um, and I think, I think when you get to the point where I'm trying to like phrase this in the right way, not that like money is not valuable, but, but when you're comfortable enough to go chase your passion, I think that's really where the success lies. Like I, I wasn't waking up excited to go into the office and like go make rich people richer, um, which I guess is still technically what I'm doing here. But, um, but I think the impact is, is a lot larger. Like we're, we're not investing in, in traditional U.S. equities. We're investing in new technologies. So I think the venture side is more interesting because you get more of the risk, but you get more of the reward. But I think some of these aspects can have uh, measurable impact on the world. Bitcoin already has. You've seen countless countries that have their money devalued be able to use Bitcoin. Um, you see crypto in general being able to disrupt many industries. And I think that's really the amazing thing. And one of the things that we look at from an investment standpoint is when we're looking at a founder, where do they come from? What is their experience in? So we have founders that come from 20 years of healthcare and they see the, the aspects and the issues that are evolving in healthcare and can see the ad adaption of this technology that can improve that. Um, vice versa for supply chain management for the, there's a million use cases, but um, but yeah, so I, I think really for me, it was more of like, how do I chase my passion and, and how do I wake up excited about what I'm doing every day? And, um, and crypto was kind of it. And, and I was kind of at the point in my life. I mean, I've been in this space for what's 2020. So about seven years now, um, the first probably two and a half to about late 2015, it was more personal investments. Um, I wasn't managing any outside capital. I didn't have any uh, investors, anything like that. It was just, I'm managing my own money. And luckily at that time, a lot of the assets uh, were, were super cheap and was able to make a, a good amount of money off of them. But, um, 
but but really it was it was chasing my passion and then understanding kind of the impact that some of these technology can have on on the world um and and so oh there's something so interesting about what you said there um you got finance Okay, I've lost it now. But what about supply chain? What is the interesting thing in terms of supply chain and how? Because there was a lot of talk about that a few years ago, but I haven't heard of anything that's actually been impactful on the infrastructure side. Is there anything that can be built there right now, or is there anything that is being built? Yeah, um, but I think that that goes back to kind of like the technology versus marketing side of things. And I think for some of these use cases, that's really when you had the whole like not Bitcoin blockchain. Um, aspect about in, in like early 2018 where people were going away from the altcoin hype and going towards some of these um, more blockchain style investments and, and I think a lot of them just got overhyped in the sense that we're going to take over this industry and disrupt it and yada 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 it, like when you look at uber did uber disrupt the tax industry yes is our taxis still around yes are they still uh, a major business yes but at, at the end of the day it's not something that's going to come in and just destroy all competition <laughs> like uh, it's just, I think the marketing side was overhyped, but I think the technology has made an impact. You start seeing more of the inefficient uh, efficiencies come in, whether it's cost, whether it's delay, whether it's structure, even in finance, you start seeing that on like settlement. So with traditional equities, you have what's, what's referred to as T plus two. So, so when you actually trade an equity, there's a lot of, that's probably another like two hour conversation we can go into, but, Wait, but I want uh, to basically, yeah, go for it. Yeah, when when you trade an equity, it's not instant. It typically takes about two days to actually go through the countless steps that it goes around. And even when it goes around, it's not actually yours technically. You actually owe IOU. One of the fascinating parts about traditional finances is a company called CD and Co. C E D E and Co. And if you ever want to understand how crazy finance works, look at that. That they own probably about ninety nine point nine percent of all equities in the world. And really what you own and what your financial advisor owns and what the brokerage owns <laughs> is an IOU based on that. Whoa. So that seems like that, that is right. It's crazy. Is that right for disruption? Is that something that it, can it, be better? It kind of is. I mean, there's an article that I posted yesterday from, uh, from Ria um, who kind of goes through the, the omnibus, omnibus model for custody. So there's a lot of things that can go into how do we custodial assets? How do we verify the ownership of them. How do we cut down the cost? Um, and obviously, with crypto, you get a little bit more challenges of having hot and cold storage wallets and things like that. But um, th there's definitely a lot uh, in traditional finance that can be disrupted. And I think that's why you start seeing most of the banks publicly are saying, "Hey, this thing doesn't work," and we're not big fans. But there, there's a lot of people that are, are working on this inside of these banks. There's a lot of people in government that's working on this. A, a big theme of 2020 is central bank digital currencies. Um, so th there's a lot of work that can be disrupted. And I think mm. the, the governments and businesses that understand and adapt will continue to be in the position they are. And the ones that don't will continue to, to lose market share or, or, or fail. Um, and that and, seems similar to the way that journalism or other types of large businesses that the incumbents had to either um, adapt or lose market share. There are still businesses. Uh, one of my favorite shows now is Succession. I don't know if you've seen that, but uh, very, Love it. yeah, it's just, it's so interesting looking into a failing business that is still a big, big business and they can all leverage themselves and they all are like, they're just not, not, I mean, the, the numbers that they're dealing with are so big that it's like, they can gain access to more, more 
capital, but it's more about the longer term, like what the company is doing, the perception and all that different stuff. It's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, even if you look back like 20 years ago, when you look back to like Napster, like that was one of the first use cases of like peer to peer technology that sidestepped some of these big firms. And then that's when you had like Tower Records. Like the only reason I remember Tower Records is like the, the place that I went when I was a kid to go get CDs. But like you had places like that, that like just didn't see the competition. And then you had the opposite side where you had the music labels that started to try to take down this platform. And I think the big difference between Napster and Bitcoin is the fact that there was a single person at the top that you could subpoena and jail. And there's no one in Bitcoin that you can take. There's no, you can't subpoena it. You can't call them into Congress. You can't shut down the network. Um, obviously, there's still some attack vectors when you look at it from a holistic standpoint, um, such as if the government banned all fiat on and off ramps, that'd probably be a very big blow to crypto in general. Um, if you had governments that shut down ISPs or internet uh, service provider like protocols, that'd be a pretty big uh, uh, kind of roadblock. But that's kind of the amazing part is you have technology and you have amazing entrepreneurs that are building ways around that. So you have mesh network, which you can actually use to transmit Bitcoin transactions without being uh, connected to the internet. Um, there's really amazing things that are happening more on a kind of like the, the quote unquote anarchist side but i think that's the amazing thing is technology typically will always outpace regulation and the regulators and when you look at who's building this technology you're looking at 20 to 40 year olds generally and you when you look at who's running these banks and these government and these institutions you're looking at 60 to 80 year old white dudes mm. that have no idea how technology works mm. um so th there's definitely a lot of room for disruption but um but I think there, there's going to be banks that, that look at that and there's going to be banks that, um, that respond to that. And there's going to be governments that respond to that. And you start seeing that already. There, there's, there's governments that are looking into building out their own digital currencies. And um, some are really amazing and some I don't, I think will not be amazing. And, and, and when you look at more of like the repressive regimes um, and you look at kind of like uh, North Korea, China, I think the, the once again we get into the marketing aspect where people are like oh this is amazing but it's like it, it can go the opposite way where now because everything's on a, a digitized ledger you can have worse capital controls you can have less privacy you can mm. there's a lot of like ulterior aspects to, to some of this progress in technology but um i think at the end of the day the, the ones that adapt um and, and continue to understand what the market's looking for will will continue to uh to survive there's something you said there and i want to wrap it up into a question and it's like because we've seen it with every other technology it's like cars for example created this just like mind-blowing convenience that that we can have now uh but in the process then created you know one of the largest sources of death for people under the age of 60. um so it's like there there are these benefits technology and then there's these downsides and then it's like for the downside of an, what what is the downside of an economy where the infrastructure is um, a digital currency that is not centralized? Sorry, can you repeat that one? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> uh, what are the downsides of an economy that is dependent on? Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies as the pipe or as the fluid mechanism for transaction value, which is, does that make sense? 
Yeah, well, I guess there's two parts of it. With Bitcoin, I don't think there's many downsides. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and overhype and say that everything's sun like sunshine and rainbows. But I think for the most part, most people are flocking to Bitcoin to escape some of the capital controls, um, to escape the uh, hyper devaluation of their own currencies. Um, you have countless countries across the world that literally they don't keep their own country, like they don't keep their own currency in their pocket because one day it's worth a dollar or quote unquote a dollar. The next day it's worth one cent. Yep. So a lot of people try to keep their wealth in Bitcoin. And, and for right now, people are keeping their wealth in fiat, in, in dollars. So it's kind of that education. How do we get people to understand that Bitcoin provides a, a better way to store your assets? Um, and then on the flip side, I guess, it, it, it's, it's using the, the technology um, kind of against its own citizens, in, in a sense. Um, so I think that's kind of like one of the things where you heard back in 2013 and 2014 only drug dealers use Bitcoin and it's this anonymous currency. And if anyone has done any research into Bitcoin, you understand that it's not anonymous at all. So it's like one of those things where Bitcoin's going to be great and it's going to do all these things. But then you look at when it's imposed by some of these more oppressive regimes, they can have the ability to, to kind of cut off your access to capital. You look at China, they have these like social credit score where you can and cannot use certain things. You can and cannot leave the country. You can and cannot move your money places. And uh, I think when you, when you start adding these things where people, governments will always want to control their citizens to, to complete or to move them in some direction or achieve some aspect of their larger, um, mm. their, their larger kind of philosophy or their larger plan. Um, and so I think that's kind of the challenge of looking at that as well is, um, is really where what are these where are these currencies being built off of? and that's kind of the interesting aspect is um some some of these countries are, are looking to build their own blockchain to build their own currencies and then you have the u.s is kind of like in the standstill where you have um you have like jack dorsey and square and some of these like really amazing entrepreneurs that are funneling millions and millions and millions of dollars to build bitcoin because they believe that like everything's going to focus around bitcoin and then you have other people that think that it'll the value will accrue on a new chain or a new um, a new blockchain, but I'm not a, I'm not a believer in that. Um, mm. But hopefully, that like somewhat answers the question. I, I think there's always positives and negatives. I, I just think more people need to do research around the actual techno like technology technological impact versus just like what they read in the headline. Yep. And that's always a matter of just reading it over and over and over again, digging into all these new concepts and then reminding yourselves it's like the thing that helps me the most with this learning anything is familiarizing myself with the vocabulary. Um, and at the first, it's just too much vocabulary to familiarize, familiarize yourself with. Your, your brain will, will only remember about 10%. You can use various tools like Anki or um, MemoSign, which can, if you test yourself every day on vocabulary, you can extend your memory and make it more and help with these vocabulary terms but it's just so abstract a lot of these things are so abstract new, new verbs new words have been used created and so like for me it's like over and over and that's part of the reason i'm interviewing right now is because I've, I've did a lot of that let it all go and now i want to see what's up again basically yeah um, but i think i think that's healthy though um because sometimes you need to take take yourself out and really just observe instead of being in the, in the day-to-day and i think that's something that um that I really like look at um, is you see people that are like, I'm checking the price every day and I'm checking this every day. And it's like, you need to kind of like back away, like uh, observe, listen, learn, uh, listen to podcasts, listen, like read books. There's a, a lot of really amazing um, 
technology and there's a lot of amazing resources that are being built um, to, to allow that onboarding to, to occur a little bit quicker and faster. And I think that's kind of the, the amazing thing is when I got into this industry, there wasn't anything, um, which probably helps in the long run because I had to kind of learn it all like the hard way. But now there, there's amazing resources. There's literally like on you can go online and learn like blockchain 101 basics. What is Bitcoin? Um, there's a million things on Medium, on Reddit. Uh, Reddit's a little tricky sometimes if you get more of the marketing hype stuff. But um, but at the end of the day, I think it's it's a mixture of staying in and understanding the, the macro things of what's going on, but not getting too caught up in like the daily minutia of like this thing happened or Bitcoin's up 5% or down 2% or whatever. So it, it takes a takes a, a little bit. And, and then I think just to wrap it up, I think one of the, the hard parts about learning an aspect of this is that it, it condenses multiple studies into one. So it's not like you can just understand finance. You need to understand finance, governance, macroeconomics, microeconomics. You need to know computer science. There's like 10 or 15 other like full on billion dollar industries that merge into like this one giant ecosystem where you kind of have to be a jack of all trades to understand how things work. Um, and, and how things function. And there's obviously stuff that I still am not 100% clear on more on like the technical side of, but I think that's, that's why you bring in people to your firm or your company that understand and can read through the white papers and things like that. But luckily we've kind of shifted away from the insane white paper uh, philosophy. Um, so that's definitely been nice. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think the way I look at it is, is if you just continue to learn day in and day out, follow the right resources, which is, which is hard. Um, I think it's kind of like a, a grab everything and then scale back approach. Yeah. I don't know if that's phrased the, way, the right way, but that's kind of how I did it. Like on Twitter, I followed like every single person that like said anything about crypto and blockchain. And, and then when I continued to learn more, I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, I don't know if I should like, I don't know if you're right. I don't know if you're wrong. But like at first I was just like absorb, 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 understand, learn, read books, podcasts. And that's kind of what I was going back to on like the finance point. Like literally I'd work a 10, 12 hour day. I'd come home and I'd spend six, seven, eight hours reading, learning. I'd wake up on like a Saturday morning, like even this Saturday, obviously I'm, I'm in the industry now, but like this Saturday I woke up at 6 a.m. and spent like the first three hours of my day just reading like medium articles because I have 15 tabs on my, on my laptop open that I want to like go read and go learn from. So you definitely have to have kind of a, a curiosity for learning and, and improving and understanding. But um, I guess to, to end it, uh, th there is some really amazing things happening on that um, onboarding process, whether it's like Nakamoto was just released um, a couple weeks ago, which is kind of like a, a website where you can go in and start learning and, and hearing from some top players in that space. Oh. Obviously, that had some controversy because it, it focuses not only just on Bitcoin, um, but other projects that you get. That's where you get kind of into like the Bitcoin maximalist versus yeah. Altcoin crowd, but I guess my point with that is that there's a lot of really amazing resources that now exist in 2020 that didn't exist even in 2018 or 2017 or 2016 um, that can help people get onboarded. And there's more people, especially in Twitter, which is probably the only social media platform that I use. Like, there's people that are willing to sit down and, and go back and forth to you. There's people that I talk to that I, I don't understand something on that I'm like, hey, how are you thinking about this? Why are you thinking about this? Like, where are you coming from with this? I don't agree with you. But like, I want to understand why you think that way. Um, but there's like the opposite. Like there's people um, that are like on, on like the opposite side of me, I guess, that are still learning some of the things that I know that I'm like, I love to go back and, um, and do stuff with. I have friends from back home that 
um, two, I guess two sets of friends. I have, I have friends that, that, that texted in, in November and December of 2017. Is it a good time to buy? Is it a good time? What should I buy? How do I make the most money? And then you have the friends that were like, how do I start learning? Like, yeah. where do I go to, to understand what's going on? And those are the ones that spent the time reading the books mm-hmm. and, and reading the 9 million articles that I sent them and reading like, and understanding this and looking at podcast and like actually coming back to me week over week being like, can you explain this? Can you ask like, that's that. And it's, it's no coincidence that that crowd is now doing a lot better, not only like financially, especially in crypto, but financially in general versus that other crowd that was just like, how do I make a dollar out of 50 cents? Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, how can people find out more about how can people learn from you on Twitter? Yeah, my, my handle is dhanum8, D-H-A-N-N-U-M-8. Um, so I'm pretty active on that. That's pretty much where I like to go share thoughts, articles. I repost like tons of articles all the time. Um, and, and now, uh, I, I don't know if we mentioned it on the podcast, but I've actually stepped into a, a role with one of, uh, one of the companies, uh, which is Zen Ledger. So mm-hmm. if anyone has any questions on crypto, on taxes, how to stay compliant, I'm always happy to, to set up a call, walk through a demo. So anything crypto related, uh, to reach out and I'm always happy to have conversations like these. Very cool. Um, and then Zen Ledger just recently did a partnership. Are you guys, uh, what's the deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's still a lot of really exciting things in the pipeline um, that I, th- I think you'll continue to see come out over the next couple of weeks that we're really excited about. Um, but to hit on this specific aspect, we just formalized a partnership with Celsius last week and just announced it this week. So we'll be the sole source provider for all Celsius's users to get their taxes handled and, and completed. So we'll handle their 1099, which is like their interest income that they're receiving from Celsius. Um, and that also helps Celsius make sure that they're compliant in, in, um, in their own capabilities. And then we'll actually be able to offer all our full suite of services as well. So if you only need a 1099, you can get one. As you can imagine, most people that use Celsius and most people that use staking or lending or more of the, um, I, I don't know, for lack of a better word, savvy investment vehicles in the space have multiple accounts, have a million different things going on. So they'll need uh, an easy and quick and simple, um, an accurate way to, to comply with their taxes. And um, we definitely believe Zen Ledger is that. So we're really excited about that. Alex has built an amazing company. Celsius has a little over 70,000 US users. So pretty big market share. Um, um, and obviously, if there's another 70,000 people out there that we can help uh, easily and accurately comply with, with, with their taxes, um, we, we love to do so. So there, there's a lot of really exciting stuff happening on on the Zen Ledger side. And I think that's something that we talked about maybe on our last episode of having that overlap between um, kind of the investment business and then the Zen Ledger mm-hmm. business of some of those connections and some of the portfolio companies that we've had and some of the companies that we've passed on and whatnot that now come full circle um, that I can go back to and say, hey, I'm now in a different role or I'm focusing on this today and we love to work on this. So um, yeah, we're, we're very excited about Celsius and um, very excited about some of the other things that will be uh, announced in the, in the next coming weeks. Cool. The, uh, there's a thunderstorm arriving right now. I gotta, I gotta go, but, uh, but uh, I'll talk to you soon, Dan. Thanks for tuning into the show. If you enjoyed it, please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the major podcasting platforms. Go ahead and leave us a review. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at Stuart Alsop. I, 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 my DMs are open. Would love to hear from you.